You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. It's an absolute joy to be with you, and it is my joy, my honor uh, to kick off this amazing uh, series today. And as uh, uh, Martin has already said, we're going to be looking today at passion for the presence. And uh, we've been so well led today in worship and encouraged into the presence of God. And my, my theme today as we sort of kick this off is this idea that I, I want us to think about image and intimacy. There'll be reoccurring themes throughout this series, but the idea that right at the beginning of this journey, I want us to think about our image before God and intimacy with Him. Two incredible dynamic ideas that run from the very opening pages of the Bible all the way through to the end of the text. It is a relentless message of image and intimacy. And so if you have a Bible with you, I'm going to take a couple of short readings from the book of Genesis, uh, just literally a few, a few verses. So if you do have a Bible, I would encourage you to get it out. If it's on your phone, if it's on your iPad, if you've even got a copy of the Bible like me uh, in a good old-fashioned hard copy form, why don't you grab that and, uh, and open that up with me? I do encourage Christians all over the country, wherever I go, millions of people would give, the, would give anything for the Bible you've left at home. So, so I encourage you, bring your, bring your Bible and engage with the Word of God. So just a few verses, and we'll get the gist of where we're going in the context of this. And it says this, so verse 1, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then skip down to verse 26, and it says this, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our image, let, uh, 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 and in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has its fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that is br the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. And then jump across to chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth. There was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. 
And then one more reading, chapter 3, verse 7. Now this is the moment where the man and the woman have sinned against God. Sin has entered into the world, and this is the moment we pick it up. And it says this, verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig trees together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Okay, some interesting readings and passages there for us to consider. But I want to take us back to the very opening statement of the Bible. Powerful statement. God doesn't qualify the statement. He just makes it. It's just a statement for us to accept. And we have these magnificent words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In, in, our, in our Bible, my English Bible, 10 words. But in the language that it was written in, seven words. And in that language, seven speaks of perfection. It speaks of completeness. And there's no coincidence that the opening statement of the Bible is framed for us in a seven-word perfect form. Because God's trying to get our attention right at the beginning of this journey. Right at the beginning of the text, he wants us to be drawn into something. I've discovered in my journey that when people engage with especially Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, they get drawn into the sort of scientific questions in the text. They, they try to answer, I think, the wrong questions. And in fact, I've come across these a lot. People want these questions answered. What did God do and how did he do it? And the danger is from our Western uh, rationale, from our scientific-based education system, we come to a text like Genesis and we're immediately flowing into our scientific framework. And of course, nothing wrong with that of, of, at all in terms of that approach, except that I think from the very beginning it's taken us in the wrong direction. Because the questions that Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 begs us to ask are not what did God do and how did he, did he do it, but rather these questions. These are the questions I think God wants us to ask. Who is God and why did he do it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, when we step back from that and we ask this first question, who is God? We go on a journey and we discover he's amazing. He's awesome. He's eternal. He's self-existent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He is everywhere. He is the one true and living God. The Bible declares he was he is and he is to come. He is complete in himself. He doesn't need anything. And we are introduced to him right at the beginning. So it begs the question, when we discover what sort of a God he is, why does he make anything? Why does the God who is complete in himself make anything in the context of a world? Those are the questions Genesis is begging you to ask. Not, how did God do it? That, that's just assumed that he's an all-powerful God and he can do stuff. But it's, why does he do it? 
if he's the self-existent God, if he's the eternal God, if he's the God who doesn't need anything, why is he reaching out and making stuff that he's connecting himself to? And if we dare to answer that question, it opens us up to the very essence of this series that we're looking at as we discover passion for his presence, because we discover a God who wanted to share himself. That's why he does it, because he wants to share himself with the world. He wants to share himself with creation. He wants to share himself with, with someone like him. But there isn't someone like him outside of his world. So he has to create a world and he lovingly weaves a world together so that he can share himself. And too often we approach that opening text scientifically. We're trying to dot the I's and cross the T's and that's a worthwhile exercise. But the whole point that I'm amazed with, what blows my mind is that the God who stands alone made humanity in the first place so that he could share himself with us so that he could pour his life into another. And Genesis is about the God of the universe wanting to share himself with us. And we see this powerfully in this amazing statement we looked at in Genesis 1, 26. God says, let us make man in our image. Let us make humanity in our image. God doesn't need to do this. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need the world. He doesn't need animals. He has everything he needs. He is self-sufficient, yet there is something within him wants to share himself Something within him wants to connect. Something within him is reaching out from within himself to a world not even yet made that he then makes and shapes. And he does this. The pinnacle of this action is that he makes humans in his image. Now, now I, I want to break this idea down to sort of lead us into hopefully where we are going. How does God do this? First of all, he makes the first humans in his image. Now, this is so powerful, and, and I know there's a big debate around Genesis and where do Christians stand on the text and the literalism of the text. But here's the danger. If we get embroiled in the wrong conversation, we are in danger of being led away from a fundamentally dynamic idea that sets humans apart from every other thing in the universe. We are made in the image of God. And if God's going to share himself, he has to have something like himself. He can't just have intimacy with anything. He has to have intimacy with something like him. And that's why he makes humans differently. It's a striking little thought. If you read Genesis all the way through that first chapter, six times it says God saw something, and it says, and it was good. Six times. 
Over and over again, beautiful repeat pattern in the text. Six times. God saw and it was good. God saw and it was good. When it comes to humanity, it says God saw and it was very good. It's a distinctive shift in the emphasis. Everything that God has made up to that point is good, and it is good. It's still amazing, actually, even though we're trying our hardest to break it. It's still an amazing world, still an amazing universe, and still amazing creation. But when it comes to humans, he says, it's very good. There's something about humans that's different because humans are the only ones that bear the image of God. And that's why there's a world out there working very, very hard to strip away the image of God idea from you. That's why there's a whole philosophy that wants to de-image you. Because if it reduces us to being no more than clever monkeys, we lose much more than a theological idea. We lose something that makes humanity absolutely unique and distinct. We are made in the image of God. And that's at the heart of this idea. And I, I, I want you to see this, this verse that, that explains in many ways how God uh, makes the first human. And it's a, a fascinating uh, insight into this. Let me just read it to you as, as we come to it. It says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust, and then it says this, and he breathed into his nostrils. That's a literal translation. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, now note the distinctiveness there. A number of things are going on that actually the man is formed. And if, if you, you and I could go back in a time machine, we, we would look at this man lying on the ground, a perfectly formed human. By all intents and purposes, this is a human. There's nothing that, that, would, that would dissuade us from that idea. And there he is, he's lying on the ground, but he is lifeless. So he's formed by dust, but he is brought to life by breath, but not just any breath, the breath of God. Now, this is so powerful. This is the only creative act in the whole of the Genesis account where God's breath is specifically given to us. Uh, creatures contain life, humans, breath. Come on now. And it's not just, just this idea of, of, of the human being different. It's the idea that what brought the human to life is different. God speaks to creation and it lives. But for humanity to live, humanity needs God's breath. That's what makes me and you different. That's what made Adam and Eve different. That's what set them apart from everything else. They contain the breath of God. And I want you to notice this. Listen, listen. A powerful image is here of God's breath coming close to this man. When I, a few years ago, Don and I went for an anniversary trip to Rome. And while we were in Rome, we went to the Vatican. What an amazing experience. Sort of 
amazingly glorious and deeply disturbing all at the same time. And if you've ever been, you'll know what I mean by that. It's filled with treasure that really is mind-blowing. And uh, it was quite funny to me. My, my wife was getting ready to go in, and uh, they're, they're checking how people are dressed. And women in particular, they're not allowed to have bare shoulders, and they have to have skirts that are at knee length or longer, okay? So all of this is going on because you're, you're about to enter the Vatican where the Pope lives, you know. It's a country in its own right. And we went into the Vatican, and there are naked bodies everywhere. It's quite incredible. There, there, there are statues galore with bits hanging out that I really didn't want to look at in, in any shape or form. And we were guided round the Vatican by a wonderfully enthusiastic young man from Rome, and he was just passionate. And we came to the Sistine Chapel. Now, the Sistine Chapel's famous Michelangelo painted the seating of the Sistine Chapel, and it is absolutely a thing of beauty. It's absolutely stunning and amazing. But before we went in, he really got excited about his favorite picture. And his favorite picture is the creation of Adam. And this is Michelangelo's <laughs> version, okay? Now, Michelangelo didn't put the black dot there. That's me. That's my artwork. I'm sure he's deeply appreciative of my skill in manipulating a dot uh, there in the appropriate place. But this is known on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel as the creation of Adam. And our guide loved this. He went on and on and on about it. And I got more and more irritated. But I was good. I didn't say anything. I kept my Protestant mouth shut uh, in the context of the Vatican. As soon as my accent would be heard, I would have been in trouble. So I kept my mouth shut, right? Because here's the thing. Michelangelo was a brilliant artist, but he was a rubbish theologian. This is garbage. I'm sorry, Michelangelo. And if you're in heaven, we can have this out together a bit later on. But this is nonsense. This is taking us completely in the wrong direction. This is taking us on a journey from the wrong starting point. God didn't point a bony finger at Adam and, and connect to him like, like a force of electricity running through his finger. No, no, no. Adam's lying on the ground. He's lifeless. And God leans over the man. God puts his face into the face of the man and breathes life up his nostrils. It's a text like that that makes me feel good about myself. Do you, do you understand? This isn't, this isn't an impersonal force. This isn't an impersonal God speaking out of the darkness into a sort of a random universe. This is God leaning over a human and breathing himself into that human so that when that human comes alive, alive he's not just a clever monkey. He's not just one step above a dog. He's not just an animal. He is uniquely and dynamically made in the image of God. Because God is looking for someone to share himself with. And he can't share himself with a dog in the way that he can share himself with us. I love my sausage dogs. Pepperoni and salami. I love them. They're gorgeous. But I'm better than them. And I'm not just better than them because I've got a PhD. 
I would be better at them if I didn't have any education at all. I would be better than them if I had nothing of worldly value. I am better than my sausage dogs because I am made in the image of God. There is no one like me. There is no one like you. We are uniquely made. And we contain the breath of God. And it's that breath that is calling to us. It's that breath that is within us, deep calling to deep, calling back to God, calling back to something bigger and better than ourselves. Are you with me? In that glorious moment, into dust comes glory. It's just dust. It's just normal, routine, common or garden dust, dust. But when breath hits it, it becomes glorious. It becomes something it could not have become on its own. And without the breath, we are just dust. But with his breath, glory comes. With his breath, life comes. With his breath, something dynamic comes into our world, which lifts us above the limitation of our humanity and takes us into a realm of being able to be intimate with God. It's all contained there in that image. And we just rush past it because it's a bit uncomfortable. We're not sure of the science of all of that. And if you're not sure of the science, you'll miss the point. God's not worried about the science. He just wants you to get the point. Humans are made in the image of God. And humans were made, brought to life with the breath of God. But let me show you the second idea. So that's how he made uh, humans. But, but let, me, let me show you why. Why does he make these humans? Because, can I say this carefully and reverently? Because he's looking for intimacy. He wants intimacy with us. He, he, he wants to share himself with us. And he wants a person that is wired in such a way that they can engage with that idea. That we can reciprocate. That we can Give back to God the things that he's after. Look, look, look at this imagery that we've got together. It says that the Lord came down in the cool of the day. He walked among them. And the impression we're giving from the text is this is something God normally did. In the rest part of the day, the evening part of the day, God would come down to commune with the man and with the woman, so that he could walk with them, and talk with them, and engage with them, and share himself with them. This was a unique idea. He's wanting to share himself with the man and the woman in a way that he's not sharing himself with the rest of creation. He's coming down to them. He doesn't wait for them to come to him. There's no special temple in the garden. There's no special place. There's no special synagogue. There's no special building. There's no special church. So what does God do? God makes a habit of coming to them so that he can share himself with them. It's one of the most incredible ideas of the Bible. Not only that humans are made in the image of God, but the God who made them wants to have relationship with them. It's incredible idea that we've been singing about this morning in the most remarkable way. And I would submit this to you in the context of Genesis. Image made intimacy possible. 
because of what he made, he's now able to share himself in a meaningful way. He can share himself with a person like him. Now, I don't mean like him in the like all-knowing, awesome God sense. But I mean there's something about these humans that the other, the rest of creation doesn't have, the other animals don't have. There's something they have that means he can now share himself with them. And he reaches out and he makes humans in a certain way so that he can have intimacy with them. That's why the snake worked so hard to do two things. To corrupt the image and drive them from the presence of God. Now, John, what, what are you talking about? Surely, is that in the text? Well, it is actually. When, when the woman takes the fruit and eats it and shares it with the man, a number of things uh, happen. And, and here's the first thing I want you to see that happens. They cover up. Now, this is a, a shocking moment because at the end of chapter 2 of Genesis, it says this, the man and the woman were naked and felt no shame. Now, in our, in our 21st century world, we tend to interpret naked around sexuality. It's nothing to do with the sexual stuff. It's to do with this idea. Here's the idea in Genesis 2. What God made them, they were absolutely secure in. They were at rest in. They were happy with. They were complete in. Therefore, the man could look at the woman in an uncovered form and celebrate. The woman could look at the man in an uncovered form and celebrate. It's nothing to do with sexuality in that sense. Though, you know, that's a bit of a subtext, but that's not the issue here. They're able to be without shame because they are standing in the completed work of God. God has made them a certain way, and therefore... They stand complete in that image. But note what happens when they sin. They sew fig leaves together. They realize they're naked. They sew fig leaves together. They use fig leaves in a way they were never designed for to cover up something that was never meant to be covered up. And in fact, what's really interesting, the idea of coverings here in, in the language of the Bible points to the idea of an apron. So it's not, it's not like they're covering their whole nakedness. They are covering specifically and uniquely their genitalia. All right? So here's another very uh, interesting artist's impression of, of Adam and Eve. Okay? And you can see the strategically positioned fig leaves. Now, it, the, the artist is sort of getting there, but even that's not complete. The idea is they make an apron that literally covers their waist. So, so, so what are they covering? They are covering the bit of themselves that is unique and distinct as a reflection of the image of God in them. The top half, they look sort of the same. Uh, uh, you know, work with me here. They look sort of the same. But the bottom half, there's no, there's no like, oh yeah, that's the same. No, no. The bottom half, we know what's male and we know what's female here in the Garden of Eden. So what are they covering up? They are covering up the distinct God image part of the female. 
They're covering up the distinct God image part of the meal. And to the naked eye, forgive the pun, they now look the same. They've covered up something that God designed. And the snake is always wanting us to cover up the image of God in our lives. He's always wanting us to put something on there that wasn't designed to fit in the first place, but which literally covers up the God image within us, the unique God-shaped person that each of us was made to be. They covered up image. Now work with me. Stay with me now. I'm nearly there. The second thing that happened in the garden is that they hid themselves. Okay? Now again, it's dead easy to read the story of Genesis and just sounds like a random story. But, but note the connections from before the fall and now the connections to after the fall. Look at this. It says that they hid themselves from the Lord God, hiding themselves where? Among the trees. So, so look, two things are happening. The first thing is they cover the unique image of God within them. Secondly, when God comes down in his normal routine to walk with them in the cool of the day, what are they doing? They are running from the presence of God. The covering of their image has corrupted and impacted their intimacy. Your image and intimacy are inextricably linked. And, and what the devil wants us to do in the presence of God is, is, is cover that up, is, is feel that we are not accepted by him, that we cannot come to him as our naked selves, but that we have to be something else in his presence. And when you come into his presence any other way but naked, you can't be intimate. If you come into the presence of God any other way but naked, you can't be intimate. And it's a, it's a brilliant strategy. It's a brilliant idea. And what the, what the snake uh, uh, caused us to do was look at the image of God and say, uh, that, I have to cover that up. That's the first mistake. And secondly, when the presence of God comes, I, I can't be with him. And so what the snake did in the most powerful way was corrupt this intimacy. Covered image leads to corrupted intimacy. Now, John, where are you going with this? Stay with me now. Here's the landing moment. Let's fast forward to the Gospels. Let's fast forward to Jesus. Let's fast forward beyond the garden where humans were made in the image of God and meant to have intimacy with God, but somehow by sin it got corrupted where they covered up the image of God and they ran from the presence of God. Thousands of years later, God sent Jesus, and listen to these words, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory. Now, now the link between John chapter 1 and Genesis 1 is amazing. It's unmissable. In the beginning, God created. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, John says. Uh, God breathed life into the man. And uh, John says in John chapter 1, Jesus is the life of men. It says that God came down in the cool of the garden. And here we have in John's, John's gospel, John chapter 1, Jesus comes and literally makes his tent among us, lives among us, 
works among us. Now, here's what I want you to see. And this is, this is an important idea right at the beginning of our pursuit of his presence. Jesus took our image to restore intimacy with God. So that image that became corrupted, that dust that became ruined, look what's happening. God is now reversing that corruption. God is now entering into the dust that was corrupted, the dust that was damaged, the dust that was ruined. And what's he doing? In that act of incarnation, he is pouring his glory into that dust so that through the, the glory in that dust, our image can be restored and intimacy can be renewed. And actually, what he's doing is literally, literally reversing the curse of the garden. What was ruined in image, what was ruined in intimacy, Jesus now, literally in the incarnation, reverses that idea. He becomes, forgive me now, stay with me, dust, so that we can see his glory. I'm going to ask the band to join me. Do you want to come back if you're ready to go? I don't know if you're going to do a song. But let me say this. Listen, let, let, me, let me say this as we're about to get into this amazing series. This is what I want you to understand. Here's where I want to take this. However much we think we want him, he wants us more. Genesis chapter 1 teaches that the self-existent God made us to share himself with us. He wants you. The story of Genesis says God wants you. God loves you. God is committed to you. And actually, when we fast forward that to Jesus, we get that repeat idea. That dust was spoiled. That intimacy was corrupted. And so what does Jesus do? He pours himself into that dust. He comes in with that glory. And here's what he's saying. God wants you again. He wants you back again. He wants you back in his presence. He wants to restore your image and he wants to renew intimacy with you. However much we think we want him, he wants us more. Secondly, here's the big idea. However hot our passion for him, his passion for you is more. This series is not just a call for you to come to him. This is a series that's saying to, to you, he has come to you. He is here for you. He wants you. He's opening up his heart to you. He literally has made a way for me to come into his presence. However hot our passion, I want to tell you, his passion for us is more. However much his presence may cost, it cost him more. And this series is about calling you to his presence, but listen to me. You and I will be more open to that call if we realize he's desperate for your presence. Oh, I know we're desperate for his but he's desperate for yours. How do I know? Genesis. God made us to share himself with us. How do I know? Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Jesus literally opens up the door of his presence, opens up the door of his glory, and he says, I want you to come. I've made it easy for you to come. I want you to experience my presence. It's not something we have to chase. Come on. He's here. He's made a way for us in Jesus to come into his presence with confidence. This morning I got up at five o'clock in the morning and I went into my favorite little place in the corner of a favorite little room where I just engaged with the word of God and the presence of God. And he was waiting. He was waiting. He didn't go to sleep all night. He was waiting for me. He, 
He was waiting for me to engage with his word. He was waiting for me to engage with his presence. He was waiting for me to step into his world. Listen to me. Paul says this. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. Let me say this to you. As we pursue his presence, when clothed in Jesus, our image is restored. We can stand in the presence of God naked, knowing that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm not standing in my own ability, not standing in my own strength. I am standing in Him. Because I stand in Him, I have access to His presence. Listen to what the writer to the Hebrews says, let us approach this throne with confidence and with boldness. And I would say this to you, when cleansed through Jesus, our intimacy is restored. This is not about, listen, this series is not about you trying harder. It's all been done. Come on, it's been done. God came to the man and the woman in the cool of the day. Jesus came to us. Because Jesus came, we can enter the presence of God with confidence and with boldness. You don't have to climb a mountain. He did that. You don't have to bleed. He did that. You don't have to bring a lamb. He was that. You don't have to do anything. You just need to respond to the God who desperately wants you in His presence, to the God who has made a way for you, to the God who says, please come, please come. And if humans will have the confidence and the courage to come, everything changes. He is passionate for your presence and has made a way where your dust my dust can be filled with glory. Come on. Come on. We can enter because He has made a way. Why don't you stand with me? It's so easy to look at a passage like Genesis and just, just get lost in the science. But it's not about science. It's about a God who wanted to share himself. It's about a God who didn't need anything and yet he created something. It's about a God who made us unique to carry his breath in a way that animals can't. We carry the breath of God. We are marked by the image of God to make a people that would have intimacy with him. And even though that was ruined and spoiled and covered up and corrupted, Jesus became flesh for us, redeeming the dust so that the glory could return. And as we enter this series, listen, enter with, with confidence. You can be, please forgive me, you can be your naked self, knowing that you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You can walk with God knowing that He is desperate to walk with you. He invites you to His presence because He longs to share Himself with you. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank You for coming for us. You didn't wait for us to come to You. Just as the Father walked in the cool of the garden towards those first 
humans, you came to us before we called to you. You restored our God image in your righteousness. And Lord, you have made a way for intimacy. And I pray in the weeks to come that men and women in this room will be able to stand confidently in the presence of God. That in the weeks to come, we will respond to the God who has made a way for us. And in the weeks to come, Lord, we will be able to be naked in your presence and feel no shame. Lord, we reject the lies of the snake who would want us to cover up what God has made good, very good. We reject the strategy of the snake that would drive us from the face of God. And we draw near to you, Lord. We surrender to you and we give our all to you. In Jesus' name.